Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. You can meet me in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Meet me there in your Bibles or on your devices. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you, and it is page 1025 in that Bible. Luke chapter 1. As we come into Christmas, it's time to talk about Christmassy things as we come to church on a Sunday morning. And so for the next several weeks, we are going to jump into the Christmas story as told in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel. And we are going to look at uh, how different people reacted who were all just kind of minding their own business and then all of a sudden Jesus showed up in their lives. So we're going to look at four different witnesses to the Christmas story. And today we're going to start with Mary in Luke chapter 1. A number of years ago, I was a teenager, I was at a uh, barbecue. We were having a big event, my dad's company had put it on, and so uh, we were all gathered at somebody's house, and they had a big property, and we were getting to know people, and I didn't know people in my dad's company that well, but uh, some of us who were kind of of teenage age had kind of been roped into looking after the little kids so that the grown-ups could enjoy the party, and so we were taking uh, uh, care of the little ones and trying to keep them entertained, and on the property there was a uh, jungle gym playground that looked a little bit like that. And it had a, an area that came down to a slide that was, you know, five or six feet off the ground. And so some of the little kids were playing up on that play area. And as they were playing and we were keeping an eye on them, uh, there was a little guy who was about a year and a half and he had been uh, part of this group. And so we were keeping an eye on him and I would kind of connected with him. We were having fun. And so he could walk, but he didn't really have a lot of awareness of space and things like that. And he did that stiff leg, like adorable walk that they do at that age. And so he was sitting up on the slide area and we were keeping an eye. And uh, I was talking to some of the other uh, students who were with me who were keeping an eye on these kids. And it was one of those, we just took our eyes off him for a second and everything's going to be fine. So don't get too anxious. Uh, we took our eyes off him for a second, and so I was about as far away from the thing as the communion table is now, and so the little guy pulled himself up, and he turned, and he saw me, and he smiled, and in two seconds, he lurched and just walked off the edge into open space. Now, goodness knows I'm not an athlete, but on that day, I was an athlete, and I dove, and it was just like a Super Bowl highlight reel football catch. Just one hand, I kind of tucked him in, landed on my back so that I took all the impact. The kid rolled off, giggled, and just toddled away. And as I sat up, I, his mom was running over, and thankfully she was laughing. Thankfully, she apparently thought it was hilarious that I had put my body in harm's way to save her son. But uh, she came and she helped me up and she said, that's fine. I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just took my eyes off for a second. It's fine, it's fine. He's fine, you're fine. And she said, oh, he just, he trusted you, right? He saw you and he just went for it and he just trusted that you were going to have him. I said, I almost didn't have him, but he trusted. And there's this picture of trust that Jesus uses in the Bible where he says, be like a child in your trust, like, you don't have to have it all figured out. Just trust like a child trusts their parents, right? You trust that it'll be fine. You trust that it'll work out. You trust that they'll take care of you. And Jesus talks about that level of trust and faith. And we're going to talk about that because as Mary encounters Jesus in the Christmas story, she also responds with a very simple childlike trust that we're going to explore a little bit this morning. Let's take a look at our text, Luke chapter 1, and we're starting in verse 26. 
In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to be be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So this is called commonly the Annunciation or the announcement, the moment when Gabriel shows up and gives Mary the news. Mary, at this time, is probably around 14 or 15 years old. And we just know that from what we know culturally uh, of Israel at the time. They got married very young, and they would have babies very young. So pretty much as soon as you were past puberty, you were ready to be married and start your family. So she's probably 14 or 15 years old. Um, and this 14, 15-year-old peasant girl, like, I don't know what you were like at 15. Uh, I was self-centered and arrogant and snotty. And so to think of this 14, 15-year-old girl uh, who just responds with such simple trust. Right? The Virgin Mary shows virgin trust, trust that is just simple and uncomplicated and pure, uh, that God is going to work this all out. So Mary, as we learn from this passage, is engaged. She is in an engagement process with a man named Joseph. We're going to hear from Joseph next week. But Mary is engaged, and in the culture of the time, you were engaged for about a year before you got married, and you were actually considered legally married. You were legally bound in an engagement. Uh, it wasn't just a promise that, that might break off. It was something that was legally binding. And you were not living together as an engaged couple. The husband would be getting his career ready to go so he could take care of a family. The woman would be getting a home ready to go and learning how to be a mom and how to take care of her family. And in that year, uh, you would spend time together, but you weren't living together. You weren't sleeping together. And part of that year engagement was a bit of a moral test because the Bible had said sex is for marriage, and so you wait for marriage. And so part of that year of being sort of married was can you make it to your wedding night? Uh, without crossing that line. And that becomes important because when Mary shows up pregnant, the most likely explanation in the eyes of the neighbors is Mary and Joseph didn't wait. Right? That would have been the most likely thing. And, and so to keep that in mind, just as we look at what the angel says to her and how she responds, um, for a girl who has a plan, she has an agenda, her life is mapped out for the next little while, she knows where she's going, she knows what she's doing, uh, Jesus is about to enter into her life, and things are about to change. There's a Christmas carol that we sing sometimes called, Mary, Did You Know? Right? We know this song. I know some of you have told me it's your favorite song. And it's not uh, a worship song, per se. It's more of a kind of a reflective song. But in the song, Mary, Did You Know? There are a bunch of questions posed to Mary in this song. Uh, just trying to get at Mary, like, what did you comprehend 
in this amazing thing that was happening. Gabriel comes and tells you some things. You have nine months to start to get your head around exactly what is going to go on. Uh, like, what did you really, did you grasp the fullness of what was happening? Did you understand that that baby was going to die on a cross? Did you understand that that baby was going to walk on water one day? Did you understand that that baby was actually God himself? Like, did you really grasp the fullness of that? And so let's look at what Mary heard from the angel, and let's look at what she responded. When Gabriel shows up and starts talking in verse 30, uh, do not be afraid. First words out of his mouth. Don't be afraid. I don't know if you've ever had your spouse say to you something like that. Like, like don't, don't worry, but, right? Don't get mad, but. Sarah used to always start when we were first married. Don't get mad. And I'd say, every time you do that, I'm instantly mad because I'm anticipating what's coming. Starts off, don't be afraid. And any time an angel shows up in Scripture, that's usually the first words out of their mouths. And I don't know what an angel looks like or what that encounter feels like, but there must be something of the glory of God that's a bit overwhelming. Because every time an angel shows up, the first words are, don't be afraid. Like, just calm down. It's going to be fine. Don't be afraid. You have found favor. Mary has been chosen on purpose by God. I imagine because she has that faith and trust that God knows she's going to need for what's coming. Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. All right, we're good so far. He will be great. Okay, what mom doesn't want to hear that for her kids? And will be called the Son of the Most High. Okay, we're going to a whole other level now. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Israel had been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah. They've been waiting for thousands of years and praying for thousands of years. And everything that Gabriel is telling her here are specific promises from God's word that they were waiting to be fulfilled. So they knew from the prophecies of the Old Testament that the Messiah uh, would be on David's throne. He would be a descendant of King David and of that family line. They knew that he would be the ruler over the Jewish people, Jacob's descendants. They knew that it would be a kingdom that would come without end. Earthly kingdoms rise and fall, but this kingdom was going to be different. So these are all specific things that Israel has been praying for and waiting for. And so when Mary is minding her own business one day and Gabriel shows up, he is telling her these are all the things that you've been waiting for that are about to be fulfilled through you. And everything, all that hope and all that waiting and the things that have been passed down from generation to generation, it is all coming to pass right now in your life, 14-year-old girl. It's all coming to pass in you. And as we think about that song, Mary, did you know? She knew some things, obviously. She knew some of what Jesus was going to be. I don't imagine she actually knew all of it. But Gabriel has told her some things uh, that Jesus is going to fulfill in his life. He says, you're going to call him Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, uh, which we'll look at next week a little bit, uh, we get a little bit of a different take on it. And the angel says to Joseph, you'll give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that name Jesus, that's literally what the name Jesus means. It means Yahweh, the Lord saves. That's what the name means. And so you are going to call him the Lord saves because he is going to save his people. His very name means salvation has come from God. And we just sang about what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name the name of Jesus is because the name itself means salvation. Literally, the Lord will save. 
And so the angel comes with this incredible blessing and this incredible promise, and Mary takes it pretty good. She doesn't scream or freak out. Maybe she did, and they just didn't put that part in. Uh, but she takes it very well, but she has a question, and it's an understandable one. Right? Mary, you're about to have a baby, and it's going to be the baby of all babies. It's going to be the baby that changes the world. It's going to be the baby that is the promise of God fulfilled that you've been waiting for for thousands of years. And Mary goes, okay, just quick question before we go any farther. Just little thing, small, insignificant detail. Um, how's that going to happen when I'm a virgin? And that's a very reasonable question. That's not unreasonable at all. That's probably the first thing that would come to most of our minds in a similar situation. Just, I, I'm a virgin. How is that going to happen? And Mary, who has such simple faith and who has this simple trust, nonetheless has questions, and so do we, right? Some of us, faith comes very, very easy. For some of us, faith is a bit more challenging. But regardless, we all have questions when it comes to faith, and questions are okay I grew up in a tradition of the church where uh, I don't think it was ever specifically taught, but it was certainly implied that if you ask questions of God or if you have qu asked questions about his will or his ways, you were asking because you were full of doubt. You were asking because you didn't have enough faith. And so it was definitely frowned upon to ask questions in the tradition that I grew up in. And, you know, where I would push back against that is we have stories like this, where Mary asks a question. She doesn't get in trouble. She doesn't get struck down. Uh, we have a Bible actually full of people asking questions. We have a Bible full of people who are struggling. Even Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane is saying, Father, the cross is coming tomorrow. This is really hard. And he wrestles with God over this thing. And so having trust and faith doesn't mean we don't have questions, and questions are good, and we welcome questions. And I just have to believe that God gave us brains that think rationally and that think logically, and he wouldn't have given us those brains if he didn't want to use those brains. And sometimes our reason and our logic and our faith come into tension with each other, and we need to kind of wrestle through that, but there's nothing wrong with asking questions. Even simple trust has questions sometimes. Mary's question is an obvious, logical, rational question. How is this going to happen? And it's one of those tricky points when it comes to the virgin birth because we don't believe that that's symbolic. We don't believe that that is a, a metaphor for something. We believe that that's literally true in historical history that Mary conceived as a virgin. That is part of our, our core theology. And this comes because it needs to be very clear that Jesus has come from God. There can't be any confusion that he might be Joseph's son. And so we have to make clear that this is something divine that has happened because Jesus was going to be a full human being, normal, uh, flesh and blood, just like all of us, and yet he was also going to be something divine and different. And so, you know, he has his mother's human nature, but he has his heavenly father's divine nature uh, as this miracle happened. And so it is a bit of a, a tricky ground. And when you, again, reflect on that song, Mary, Did You Know?, like, did you really grasp exactly? Like, when Gabriel said you're, you're going to get pregnant and it's going to be really different and your reputation's probably going to be shattered a little bit because people might not buy it, um, did you really grasp everything that was going to happen? And, and maybe she did, and maybe she didn't. But as we see, her response was, I'm, I'm okay with this, Lord. I will go down this road. So the virgin birth, admittedly, can be a bit tricky for us to wrap our heads around, and those of us who are very logically minded might have our doubts about that moment. And there's lots to say about this, but just very shortly and briefly here, I will just say that the Gospels were written specifically 
to convince people of who Jesus is. Right? They were written to win you over to Jesus Christ. They were, win to, they were written to evangelize us. And so they are trying to convince us that Jesus is Lord. And for the Jewish people of this time, the idea of a virgin birth would have been borderline blasphemous. They believed very much in the two sexes coming together, Adam and Eve in the garden, both reflecting the image of God, coming together as one in the image of God, procreating life. God, who is the creator, gave us the ability to procreate. And so the idea of a virgin birth would have been, no, that's not biblical. All the way back to the garden, you need an Adam if you're going to have a baby. And so the idea would have been theologically incredibly difficult to understand. And for the non-Jewish people, there's a Roman culture ruling the world at the time, but this is a culture that has been very much influenced by Greek philosophers like Plato and Aristotle, and it has been very much grounded in logic and reason. So sometimes people say, well, you know, 2,000 years ago, they just believed crazy things. Absolutely not true. They were very, very down-to-earth and very, very logical. They were growing very, very scientifically minded. And so the idea of a virgin birth for a Roman person just would have been kind of silly. It just wouldn't have made any sense, you know, and especially if you don't believe in God or you're struggling with the idea of God, it wouldn't make any sense at all. And so I say all that to say the virgin birth, yeah, it it is a tricky thing when it comes to our logic and to our reason. And at the same time, if you are writing a book specifically to convince people that Jesus is Lord and this story is true, the virgin birth is really bad PR, whoever you're trying to reach. Like, there's no reason to include it in there. It's going to be a stumbling block. It's going to be something that people trip over uh, that you're writing to in your audience. And so there's absolutely no reason to include it unless you actually believe that it's true. Unless you believe this is the inspiration of God and that this is something that actually happened. Because it would have been very easy when Luke was writing this down to say, ah, the virgin birth, let's just keep, cut that out. Let's make it easier for people to accept Jesus, not harder. And the fact that these gospel writers consistently include this, and that the Apostle Paul consistently you know, includes theology that's tricky, uh, it demonstrates that they really believe that this is true. The people who had seen Jesus face to face held to this as core truth. This was not something that was uh, ambiguous. This wasn't something where the different people disagreed with each other in the Bible. This has always been held for 2,000 years as truth that happened, and that's how we would hold it as well. And it also moves us away from this idea that God's will always has to make sense. And I think because we, especially in our culture, tend to be very logically, rationally minded, we assume that God is that way and that everything he does is going to fit in perfectly to logic and reason. Now, I don't know if you've read this Bible, but I've read it a fair bit. And when you read the Bible, what you have is story after story of things that didn't always make perfect sense and yet worked out incredibly because God is bigger than any of that. And so any miracle we have in the scriptures might not make logical sense, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen because miracles by their nature defy what is normal, defy maybe what is natural, defy what is ordinary, and they are extraordinary. They are not natural. They are supernatural. And so the idea that everything that God does has to make sense, I think it's something we probably try to live out. And at the same time, it's fairly inconsistent with the word, that sometimes God takes us places that maybe don't make sense, and they don't need to make sense because he's God and we're not. And part of that trust is saying, I don't fully understand this, Lord. Your word doesn't always make perfect sense to me, and yet I'm going to trust you anyway because that's what faith is. 
Faith is the thing that says, I believe you nonetheless. And so Mary, as she, you know, has her question, her legitimate question, the answer that comes, how is this going to happen? Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Just this beautiful picture. God somehow is going to wrap you up with his power, and this incredible thing is going to happen. And that's enough for her. That understanding is enough. Does it still make perfect sense? No. Is everything that's going to come make perfect sense? Not really. But the idea, the Holy Spirit, God is going to be with you. God is going to do something. You're not doing this on your own. God is coming alongside you, and that's enough for her. And for all the questions that she might have had and all the questions we have for her, you know, Mary, did you know? Did you really know that this was coming? Did you really know that that Bible story was going to happen? Did you really know that this Bible story was going to happen? For Mary, it was enough. She didn't need to know all of it. It was enough to understand this part. God will be with you, and that will be enough. And it can be a little bit tricky with us and Mary. We are an Anabaptist church, which doesn't mean we're a right church. That's just, it's the stream of the church that we are a part of. The Catholic Church, with love and respect to our Catholic brothers and sisters, uh, went a different way with Mary than we have and that the Protestant Church has. And the Catholic Church uh, has really elevated Mary to a supernatural place that we would disagree with. And so the Catholic Church over time went beyond the Scripture and said, well, how could Jesus be born of a sinful woman who was just a sinful, normal woman? So Mary must have been sinless as well. We believe Jesus is sinless, and now we believe that Mary Mary was sinless. And they also began to develop a theology that said, well, Mary is, you know, the mother of Jesus, and therefore she's kind of the mother of all of us because we're all part of his body. And now that Mary has died and gone to heaven, uh, we can pray to her and we can worship her because she's the mother of Jesus. And so he reveres her as his mom, so we should revere her as his mom. And while she's there, uh, you know, if God's ever mad at us, it's like when your dad's mad at you and you ran to your mom when you were a kid, right? Because mom would be more nurturing and comforting. That kind of theology began to develop that, you know, if we've sinned, we can go to Mary and Mary will kind of calm down God for us because she's a mom and she's very nurturing. And so these things developed over time and popes would kind of create this new theology that we would just say we disagree with because we don't see those things in the Bible anywhere. Uh, those were things that God added on by the Catholic Church. And so the Catholic Church reveres Mary to an almost godlike place. And I think something that happens with us and Mary sometimes is we're so adamant, like we don't want to be viewed as making that Catholic error of worshiping a, a human being that the Bible doesn't call us to do, uh, that we almost swing the other way, and well, we just don't talk about Mary, we'll just ignore Mary. Uh, and I just want to tell you today, it is okay to like Mary. It's okay to admire her. It's okay to be inspired by her, just like we would be inspired by David or Paul or any other hero in the Bible. The way Mary responds in this story, if you can put yourself in her place, her response is staggering to what's coming her way. Like, it's unbelievable. And that should be inspiring for us. And that should challenge us. And that should encourage us. And we don't want to worship Mary. We don't want to pray to Mary. We don't believe that Mary needs to intercede for us. We believe the cross has done that already. We don't need to calm God down. We believe we've been forgiven already. And so there are certain points where we would disagree. And again, with respect to the Catholic Church, who would say, well, she must have been sinless because only a sinless person could produce a sinless Savior, we would say, no, the beauty of the Christmas story 
is that Mary was a sinner just like us. She was broken just like us. She had issues and baggage just like us. And part of the beauty of the incarnation, the beauty of the Christmas story, is that out of her sinful, broken, normal self, something incredible came. And God will do that with our sin and our brokenness and our humanness as well. That out of our fleshiness, beauty can come. Holiness can come. Healing and redemption can come. And so we will respectfully disagree on some things with our Catholic brothers and sisters. They still believe Jesus is Lord, and we can agree on that. But we, we want to make sure that while we're not worshiping or praying to Mary, that we are learning from her and admiring her and being inspired by her. Mary's story in the gospel, we didn't read the first part of Luke chapter 1, but her story is put right next to Zechariah. Zechariah is married to Elizabeth. We've read about Elizabeth in today's passage a little bit. Zechariah is a priest. He is uh, a minister of the Lord, full of the, the word, full of purpose, full of calling. Uh, and he also, a few verses earlier, has an encounter with Gabriel. He also has a miracle baby coming. His miracle is that he and his wife Elizabeth are too old. They've never had a baby. They're too old for babies. And they've wanted a baby, but it just never happened for them. And so Gabriel shows up to Zechariah. He's doing his job in the temple. He's ministering before the Lord. And the angel shows up and says, Zechariah, you too have found favor. You also, you are having a miraculous baby come, even in your old age. And Zechariah's response is, I don't see that happening. I'm too old. And those stories are side by side. And they, they couldn't be a more perfect picture. That here is the man of God, again, full of God's word. His whole life has been about ministry. He's a full-time professional minister. He is ministering in the house of God. He's full of faith. He's full of the right prayers. He's full of the right answers to all the hard questions. He's full of every godly tool that he needs. And when the angel shows up to both of them, to Zachariah and to Mary, it's you have found favor with God. You're going to have a miraculous baby. You are going to be used by God to unveil this incredible purpose that you've been praying for for generations. And Zachariah's response is, I don't really see that happening for me. Mary's response is, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. Side by side. And this peasant, uneducated girl who probably can't read because they didn't back then, who probably uh, didn't have any ambition in life other than to be a wife and a mother and to take care of her family, who was just getting ready to get married to a nice guy named Joseph, minding her own business, responds with this incredible, beautiful trust. Gabriel says to her, no word from God will ever fail, and that's enough for her. She doesn't ask him any more questions after that. Like, Mary, did you know, did you really know, did you really grasp everything that was coming? In a way, it doesn't matter. Because he says, the word of God won't fail. And Mary's response is, I'm the Lord's servant. May that word be fulfilled then. If no word of God will ever fail, that's good enough for me. I will grab onto that promise. I am the Lord's servant. And that's just such a beautiful phrase. Right? Because we're not entitled to answers. We're not entitled to blessing. We're not entitled to any of that. God gives it to us because he's gracious and he's good, but he's God and we're not. And sometimes we try to flip the, the script and make it about us and us asking him and him doing things for us and him making our lives easier and him doing things our way. Mary's response is, I'm the Lord's servant. I serve you, Lord. I serve you. I serve your word. I serve your will. I serve your ways. It's not about me. And I don't believe that that was probably the end of her questions. 
right? I mean, there's a lot that's coming that's difficult, and there's a lot that she's going through, and there's, you know, I'm sure, you know, as she asked, how's this going to happen, and he answered that, you know, I don't think that was probably the end. I imagine she had more questions. I imagine she had more struggles just because she's human, and so I imagine she walked through some of that, but she takes on this posture of, Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you want. It's what Jesus says in the garden. Lord, your will, not my will. I am here to serve you. I'm here to do this your way. And if this crazy, incredible, miraculous, beautiful thing is what you want to do, I'm your servant. I am ready and willing. And he's disrupting her plans. He's disrupting her agenda. Like, it's not like he's saying, Mary, I want you to share Jesus with your neighbor a little bit more. Like, this is not a a baby step. Like, this is a pretty huge thing. And her response is, Lord, I am your servant. I am here to serve you. I'm here to do this your way. And so we can have our questions, and we can have our doubts, and we can have our our struggles with these things. These are all normal. These are all natural. And yet we can be inspired by Mary's example that says, even if it doesn't fully make sense, even if I don't have all the answers, even if this all doesn't fit with my agenda, even if it doesn't fit with my plan, do we have enough trust to say, Lord, I am your servant. Do what you want to do. I am here to obey you and follow you. The Virgin Mary shows virgin trust, just trust that is pure and innocent, trust that is devoted totally to him. And the theological word we use for this sometimes is submission. And it's a bit of a tricky word because uh, there's baggage that goes with it. But this idea of submission is just this, this attitude that says, Lord, you are Lord, and I am not. And if Jesus is really the Lord of my life, then he has to be the Lord of my life. And there can only be one Lord, and it can be me. I can choose that. But if I'm choosing Jesus as my Lord, I am choosing to do it his way. I'm choosing to put him first. I'm choosing to put his word ahead of my desires. I'm choosing to do that as I follow after him. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. May your word come to pass as you have promised. That will be enough for me to trust, Mary says. And that's the challenge and encouragement for us today. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. And, uh, and I get asked sometimes, do people actually use this? Absolutely. People use this almost every week. Uh, questions come in asking a follow-up question or a comment on the sermon. And we're happy to keep the conversation going. There's only so much you can cover in a 25 or 30-minute message. So we would love to connect with you there if you have any thoughts on the message today. Worship team, you can come on and get ready. The Virgin Mary's minding her own business, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up in her life. She's one of the first witnesses to the Christmas story. And although everything in a lot of ways is about to get turned upside down for her, and although she has a question, and although I'm sure it must have been overwhelming and it must have been confusing, there is enough faith and trust there just to say, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. I trust you. I am here to serve you. And that faith and trust was enough to get her through everything that was coming. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to have every question answered. But we want to follow Mary's example in saying, Lord, even though I don't have all the answers, even though it doesn't all totally make sense, even though I do have an agenda that I'm not sure if it's going to work out, even if that is the case, we will trust that you are good. We will trust that you are smarter than us. We will trust that you wouldn't ask us to do anything that you don't know is the right thing to do. And we will walk in that trust and obedience with him.
And just as we close today, uh, we wanted to sing that song that I've been talking about, that Mary Did You Know song. And again, not a worship song. It's not directed towards God. And yet, there, is, uh, there are good questions. There's good reflection in there that points us to Jesus. So I'll ask you to stand with me as we sing this carol together. You know, I know that this time of year can be a challenging time because we can hear stories of Mary and Jesus and Joseph, etc. And our hearts can be numb because we've heard it for so long. And uh, I encourage you this season to open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. As you hear stories about Mary, how God used her uh, to bring Jesus in this world, let that inspire you. Let that encourage you. Because as much as we celebrate the season every year, it shouldn't get old. Because Jesus is alive and he says who he is. And that's something to be excited about and celebrate. So if you've come today to church and you're just kind of going through the motions of the season, I would inspire you a little bit to say, look at Mary as inspiration, but look what she delivered, Jesus. And he's the one we should be looking at as our worship, as our object of worship. So as you enter the season, let God lead you as your heart is softened towards him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are the God of miracles and you use Mary uh, to bring Jesus into this world and we're grateful for that. And I pray, God, that we look at that as inspiration for our faith. That even though we celebrate this every year, it can become mundane and old for us, but Lord, remind us that it's not because the miracle of you, Jesus, is not old or mundane. Help us be inspired of that as we think about living for you, as we think about the power of your Holy Spirit and how you did an amazing miracle and such a simple thing but so profound and it impacts us forever and we're grateful so lord as we think about the christmas season and this week coming up i pray god that you show us the miracles in our life as you lead us and teach us and encourage us and show us how we can be servants for you as well uh, lord for those who have come today that are trying to figure out where you fit into their lives i pray god you continue to reveal to them the depth of your love and the reality of who you are how we're grateful for this morning. Thank you for your love and for sending Jesus to us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. If you've come this morning, you want to pray or talk, there'll be a few of us available today. Have a great day and Merry Christmas.